we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have gone deep, deep, deep into the past to bring you this amazing episode of awesomeness, where we will talk about toys from the past. Well, not not just toys, toys from the past, because a lot of toys from, you know, from our childhood were in conjunction with a cartoon. It was, you know, it was a commercial. We've talked about it multiple times in the past, but uh, we're going to be talking about those toy lines, those things that have disappeared that we, we miss that we really wish still existed. You know, we've talked about star Wars. We've talked about transformers, those franchises, those toy lines still exist today. Um, but we're going to be talking about those that uh, have gone away. They've vanished. And to take up the realm, or not the realm, the reins, excuse me, of this this episode, Alton uh, has decided to make it into kind of a game in a way. So uh, we're going to let him take it uh, from here, and uh, he'll explain how we're doing this and what is to be expected. Thank you, Dan, and hello, 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 world. Welcome to the Dungeon Crawlers Radio Rad Dome. Today, Krebs and Dan are going to be going head-to-head in the arena, ranking their top three lost franchises on three criteria, spelt out R-A-D. The first category is representation. This is talking about where they would find their various franchises and how they could consume them, whether that be TV shows, comic books, or the Saturday morning, or excuse me, Sunday morning comic strip. The second category is accessorizing. How can you best represent your fandom? This does not necessarily mean just toys and action figures. It could also mean t-shirts, lunch boxes, stickers, etc., And then finally, our most exciting category is danger. This could represent things like the choking hazard of swallowing small parts, or it could be chasing your friends down, karate chopping and throwing rocks. It's all up to you in today's edition of The Rad Dome. Dome, dome, dome. I'm so waiting for Tina Turner to come out and start singing. (laughs) Oh, Dan, we don't need another hero. Well, she didn't sing that song, but I, I, I'm just, you know, thinking like she Beyond did. the Thunderdome. Oh, did she sing that one? Yeah. All right. Well, th- that, that's part of the lyrics for Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, okay. Sorry. Totally it's messed okay. up. It's okay. It's all good. <laughs> okay, friends. So, uh, before we sat down today to record, both Dan and Krebs each selected three of their favorite lost fandoms. We got them divided into three rounds in which we're going to score them on the three categories being representation, accessorizing, and danger. And in a pregame roll-off, Dan won the right to begin round one representing Teddy Ruxpin. That's right, Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, I'm sure many of you remember this lovely, lovely bear that had a giant cassette player in its chest. And not only that, you had to put the tapes in the back and then as it would play he would move his eyes he would move his mouth he would talk and tell you you, you tell you the story this was before we had audiobooks this was awesome uh so representation where and let, remind me this is where you could find or where you could consume material of teddy rupskin right exactly so so besides 
buying the toy at the toy store, there was also a cartoon series in 19, uh, let's see. Oh, man, I am six. 86. Yes, it was 86. Um, where you were able to get a Teddy Ruskin and a lot of people thought a lot of kids got wanted one, but then when they got one, it was really creepy. It was kind of creepy. I'll admit that, especially if you put in tapes that were not designed to be storybook kids, storybooks, you know, like, um, ACDC, uh, some guns and roses. Teddy kind of went a little crazy. Um, but you know, people loved it. Uh, so yeah, it came out late 85. It got really popular in, in 86, but there was a cartoon series that you could, uh, do, uh, and watch the adventures of Teddy Rutskin. Not only that, um, you there, Wendy's, the restaurant was, uh, contracted and, and you could get Teddy Rupskin themed prizes in your kids' mills, which was pretty awesome. And now that there was the Teddy Ruskin's characters from the cartoon series joined the ice capades that would come through. So that's pretty much where you could find them. Uh, the cartoon series was very short lived. It ran in 90 or 86 and 87. Um, so, and then the, the tapes that you could buy with the additional stories of Teddy Rupskin and his friends. Um, that those are the ways you you could pick that up. Uh, accessories, right? Now that's the next one. Yep. So accessories. Yeah. Teddy came with extra outfits. You could buy the flying outfit, the hiking outfit for both him and Grubby. He had a nightshirt. He had a raincoat, a Christmas outfit because everyone has to be dressed for Christmas. Uh, a sleeping outfit. Uh, both him and, Te- and Grubby had one. A summertime outfit. A tuxedo. That came as a box set with a separate tape of love songs. Because everyone needs to hear Teddy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> singing some love songs. A winter <laughs> outfit. And, well, because, you know, Teddy was pretty heavy with that giant speaker and uh, cassette player. He also needed a workout outfit. He needed Boy, howdy. Pounds. So, choking hazards. <laughs> didn't really have any choking hazards because... Everything was sewn with inside the bear. He was pretty solid. He was heavy. The probably the only hazard you had is when you dropped it on your foot or any part of your <laughs> body, and it hurt. You might as well have been dropping a brick. Um, for, I hope you don't mind me waiting in on this for just a, a second. But for ahead. those who who never saw a Teddy Ruxpin, it, think of it as like a teddy bear, almost uh, Winnie the Pooh shaped in 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 architecture and, and sculpt, but inside was a full sized. 1980s monaural tape player yep and along with all the electronics to control the eyes and the mouth mm-hmm. uh and just like uh it was like an at-home chuck e cheese attraction and uh yeah, yeah if you yeah. dropped that it was fatal you know it this is this is what i've always you know, everyone knows what five nights at freddy's is that's that's teddy ruskin that got left in a closet for several decades pretty much yeah um kind of creepy but when he was telling you a story about his adventures, it was cute and lovable. Um, but otherwise, if you put anything else inside of him, he became creepy <laughs> and weird. And his yeah. eyes always were staring at you, no matter where you were in the room. 
But this was pre Furby. This was pre Furby. Yes, pre Furby. But you know, there was just something lovable and adorable about having a bear that would tell you stories. And I, I wish he, he was still around. Excellent. Well, I do have one clarifying question before I yes. move on from you. Um, you mentioned this very important love song bundle. Yes. Uh, and I assume that some of these outfits did come with their own tapes. Now, here's the question. Is it like Kid Bop style? No, you know, so the, lo- of- so the, the tuxedo one was the only one that came in a special box set with the love songs. Okay. Uh, the rest you were just separate outfits you could buy to accessorize him. But uh, you could buy a bunch of different adventures and storybooks. So it came with the book and the cassette, and you could put the cassette in and follow along in the book. Um, but everything with Teddy cost extra, and Teddy wasn't cheap um, no, <laughs> at, at all. So And uh, hard to know, find. This, this was also pre-Build-A-Bear, too. Um, where you could build your bear, uh, so he wasn't cheap, and his outfits cost extra, and it, it was just kind of crazy. Excellent. Okay, uh, the judges will deliberate for one moment as I go mm-hmm. through and put down my scores here, um, and I'll get everything queued up for Mister Krebs here in round one, representing Captain Power. Captain Power, absolutely. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. This was a show that came out in the late 80s from 1987 to 1988. It was a Canadian-American show, which I did not know until just now, but uh, it was a Canadian-American show. And what was cool about this show was that you had the action figures. They were all very sci-fi because they are soldiers of the future. But every figure had um, a very distinct, like... uh, in the military, it's called the MOS, right? It's it's the whole um, like their their specialization, their job. Every figure had like their own job, their own uh, very distinct look. You had the bad guys, you had the good guys. Of course, good guys are led by Captain Power. Uh, but the coolest part was that you could get vehicles like uh, Captain Power. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but Captain Power had this um, special uh, jet, and I can't remember the name of it right now. I'm going to see if I can find it. Uh, his forces are fighting the forces of Lord Dread. Lord Dread had these anti-aircraft flying-type uh, cannons called interlockers. I remember that. Uh, and uh, they, you, if you had either of these vehicles, these vehicles had on them... Uh, well, the, the jet, for example, had a pistol grip and a trigger underneath the jets. You would put the figure in the cockpit and close the canopy. You would then watch the show, which was a live action show with um, very interesting like visual effects. They did. I don't think they had any CG yet at the television level because at the late 80s, CG was reserved for film and it was very rare. Uh, but they did have special visual effects where you'd have these sort of like red and white blinking objects. And what would happen is as they approach the TV, you could shoot at them with your jet or the interlocker. If that was the one that you had, these toys had both an emitter and a receiver. And in the age of at home laser tag, this was sort of like um, an alternative iteration of that. And as you shot at the TV, it would keep an internal score on your vehicle 
if you did it at the right time, you were fine. If you failed to hit the target, as it were, then the sensor on the toy would pick up the blinking from the television and it would score a hit on you. And after three hits, your canopy would pop, your seat would eject, and your figure would fly away because your vehicle had been destroyed. If you had one of these, if you had a, a couple of these vehicles, you and your friends could load your figures up into them and chase each other around the house, laser tag style, shooting at each other. And once you hit each other, once someone got hit three times or five times or whatever the score was, their their canopy would pop and they would lose their the figure would go flying across the room. And then you disabled them. Uh, so you you had the show which was live action and cool for its day. You had the toys, which capitalized on sort of like the popularity of G.I. Joe as well as the sci-fi-ness of Star Wars. And then you had laser tag elements in the vehicles. So all around, very cool. They also, this was also during the era of games on VCR. So you had VHS tapes. You could get you could get missions and episodes on tape, and you'd put them into your VCR, and it was the same concept. You shoot at the TV, and you score points. You could check your score at the end and all that stuff. So considering that it was the late 80s, this was, this was a pretty impressive toy line in terms of their ambition. Uh, the show lasted for one season, uh, immediately got canceled. There were lots of uh, – there, there were criticisms uh, about this show. Uh, and they they felt that even though it was, you know, a, it was an attractive show for kids, it still had some pretty heavy storylines. Uh, it was kind of a dark post-apocalyptic show. This was in the late 80s. And so there was a lot of uh, delicacy around making sure that kids entertainment stayed safe. If you ever watched the original G.I. Joe cartoon, um, they could shoot lasers at each other all day long. You would never see anybody die. Unless it was the movie, and even then they rolled that back, and we talked about that in a previous episode. Uh, and if you if they blew up their jets in GI Joe, they would somehow instantly eject to safety somehow. Uh, but Captain Power was kind of a dark post-apocalyptic show uh, that was meant for kids and adults. And so because of those criticisms, uh, the, that show got canceled really quickly. So in terms of representation, it showed up as a show, of course, as a toy line, and as a play-at-home VHS series of games between the toys and the tapes. In terms of accessorization, we talked about the action figures, and uh, it every action figure came with their own special weapons. I also happened to have a set of binoculars, full-size binoculars that were Captain Power style, but they also had uh, a special lens that you could detach from the top of the binocular and put on the end and turned it turned it into a very low-power microscope. So you basically have a macro lens instead of a binocular lens. Uh, and I I don't I, I never had any clothing. I do remember lunchboxes. So you had some like basic accessorization, uh, but the focus was really on the toys. And the VHS cassettes. That was where it was at. And then finally, the danger. Uh, pretty standard choking hazard when it comes to toy figures with weapons. But I will give them the credit that most of the weapons were rifles. And so instead of just being tiny pistols that you could choke on, it was it was much larger and harder to, to choke. However, uh, Captain Power's best mate, which was um, – it was uh, Major Matthew Hawk Masterson. Uh, Hawk, he had – um, this one rifle that was really cool, but at the end of the rifle was basically like a missile. He was basically like a self-contained jet guy. He like he had like a jet pack with wings, and he was very cool. But his rifle was like a small missile launcher, and had I chosen to chew on that, I could have eaten the missile. And so 
It, it doesn't eject on purpose, but you could just bite it off, and that would have been a choking hazard. So I would say nominal, nominal choking hazard. Uh, and of course, when you're playing with a fighter jet and an interlocker and you're rushing up on your friends or you come around the corner, there's always the danger of bashing each other in the face, but these did not have rubberized ends on them. Or when the figure ejects, it launches a full-size action figure and chair in the direction you're facing. So if anyone's in front of you, you just shot two toys at them. I can definitely dig it here. Okay, I'm finishing putting down some touches here, uh, and uh, I will let each of you retouch each of the points as I go back over it and amend anything. If you have remembered something as the conversation has gone on, I would like to add anything to the end, but I've tried to write down the highlights as we go along. Um, okay, so... Uh, Mr. Dan with Teddy Ruxpin, represented primarily in TV, toys, books, and tapes, uh, accessorizing with outfits, uh, the Love Song Bundle, which is of notable exception, um, and the critical piece that you could put in any tape that you like, which means that not only is it dangerous because it's heavy, but it may also kill you in your sleep as you play devil music falling asleep. Uh, so I've, <laughs> I've added some bonus points to danger for that. Um, and then Krebs representing Captain Power over here. Toys, vehicles, and uh, TV show, all of which are integrated with the game, which is pretty cool via VCR tapes. And uh, also has your binocroscope, your binoculars, microscope, kind of cool mix there, and lunchboxes, which was a staple of any critical franchise Absolutely. from the 80s. And then uh, finally, as far as danger for Captain Power goes, I'm going to say adult themes, uh, rifles with missiles on the end, and the uh, ever-present run and gun. It's funny how they always tell you not to run with scissors, but they never tell you not to run with a gun. Always there... and forever. First to you, Dan, are there any amendments that you would like to point out or any bonus points that you would like me to account for? Dan, you are currently muted. Try one more time. Yay! I, I I turned the the mute on so that I wouldn't make any noises. Um, yeah, the the one thing that I completely forgot is yeah, you could find Teddy Ruskin on punch boxes. You could find him on notepads. Uh, you know that was kind of the the main theme back in then. Like everything got plastered to everything. Um, so you could have a your own little mini thermos in your lunchbox that had Teddy on it. You could have the lunchbox. You could have the notebooks. Um, yeah. So that's the only thing I'd amend to that. Excellent. And Krebs, in regards to Captain Power, anything else for you there? I'm pretty happy with that, with that representation. I suppose the only thing I would throw in there is uh, if you go to the Wikipedia about Captain Power, it talks pretty extensively about the presence of adult storyline content um, and really paints the picture of how dark this show got, even though it was meant to target children, uh, which is what led to its ultimate cancellation. Apparently, there was an attempt at a reboot uh, not that long ago, actually. There was a, a reboot attempt in 2012, I believe it was. Uh, and the, Oh, and I, I did forget to mention that in 88, they did make a PC and Commodore 64 video game that I never knew about until just now. Ooh. Excellent. Okay. 
Um, now, for all the viewers at home, as well as for you two fine gentlemen here on the call with me, it is important to note that the only opinion that matters is your own. At the end of the day, if you love these things, it's up to you. But because I am a fan of ascribing arbitrary, arbitrary numbers to clearly subjective ideas, we're going to go through and give each of these a score. And I also have bonus points to award at the end of the episode as we tabulate. Um, uh, but I would like each of you to give just a numbered score between 1 and 10, with 1 being super lame, let it die, with 10 being we absolutely need this back no matter what. Um, uh, Dan, for Teddy Ruxpin, how would you rate it? A 2. A two, okay. <laughs> uh, and, and for, am I allowed? Are, I, I, I propose that we weigh in on both candidates, if yes, that's okay. That's precisely what we're doing. Yeah. Oh, so, yes. Krebs, okay. I wanted to get your thoughts on Teddy Ruxpin too. Now, um, you know, especially in the modern era and, and what they've done with other toys like Furby, which I, I think is is demon spawn, mind you, but uh, some of the technological updates and everything, I think Teddy Ruxpin could enjoy a very brief revival. I'm going to give it a more generous four. <laughs> a four. Thank you very much. Well, uh, I mean, if he if he's updated to a lighter concept, like an MP3 player within him, of course, you know, that would be higher. But if we, it was the original Teddy, yeah, it's definitely a two. Because no, we, no, I'm, I'm thinking like original concept, just updated so that the eyes are like yeah. LCDs and things yeah. like that. Um, but it's got, but it'll, you know, it'd be a lightweight, all flash memory. You'd have yeah. USB. It'd probably have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. I mean, come on, the yeah. accessorization level at that point is super high. But in terms of like staying power, and would kids really be that into it? Probably no. still out of four. No, no. But here's the critical piece. If it came back out, then everybody could listen to us talk through Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, that could be cool. That could okay. be cool. Get, get like three different Teddies and they all speak in each different voice. <laughs> we could release multi-tracks that you just sync. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> See, we've okay. Now the four are starting to creep a little higher just for the coolness factor. I'm going to yes. stick with the four, but there are some possibilities here. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then you can dress each one of them differently. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's true. Okay, um, and then uh, Krebs, please give us a score for Captain Power. Uh, again, sort of taking the old toy, bringing it back into a, a modern context. I'm not sure it really fits anymore, but I also have to acknowledge that when it comes to kids' entertainment, it has definitely matured over the last four decades compared to when I was a kid. So I think Captain Power has a shot. If done correctly, I, I, I think... I think if done correctly, a five. I think I think a five would give Captain Power an opportunity here. And Dan, how do you feel about Captain Power? So I, I now that you're talking about this, I do remember this show. I do remember the toys because the the you know the commercials are like, oh, you have this the ship and it, it gets blasted and the cockpit fires out. So I do remember that. I'm only going to give it a three though because for me. It's very close to G.I. Joe, and I just never got into G.I. Joe. I didn't get no, into fair. this. Um, and it's it, better than Teddy, but not enough to save it. You know, I was trying to decide between a three and a five, and I went with a five just being the optimist that I am. But yeah. I think three is a reasonable number. Okay. So in round one, Teddy Ruxpin's weakest point was the danger category. I should... 
make the note there that even though crushing your feet is a minor thing, I feel like there's opportunity for improvement there. However, it's still opportunity for more damage. What? Well, it's a danger category. It's a danger (laughs) category. I know, but that that, that sounds weird. There's more. There's opportunity for more there. It's like uh, we want kids to get hurt. No, Uh, that that was (laughs) my first thought. Okay. Well, you could always you so, could always strangle your siblings with the RCA audio cables that you ran between Grubby and Teddy and the mud gluffs and the little yeah, fur creatures. That was, that was just a giant tripping hazard, but I completely <laughs> forgot about that. This is true. Now, I did give it a five in danger still because of the devil music that could summon demons in your sleep. So yes. it wasn't too bad. My, my rad score for Teddy Ruxpin was a 19 plus a six total from each of you. Yeah. Brings us to 25. And there's a bonus three points in it for you for a potential DCR reboot expansion. Yes. Bringing I... you to a grand total of 28 points in round one for Teddy Ruxpin. However, this round is definitely going to Captain Power. Weakest category was accessorizing. I feel like they could have done a lot more. Um, And it is also important to note that while you did get bonus points for having a dark theme, you did get both a minus point for having a reboot and a positive point for having that reboot fail a second time. So (laughs) So that just negates everything. (laughs) That's great. So with that being said... Uh, what I'm showing for my rad score is 23 up top, a eight, an eight from the DCR members on the radio, uh, and an, a bonus point for having a good time for a grand total of 32 winning round one. Everybody, round of applause for Dan Krebs and Captain Power in round one. Way to but go, it's Captain not Power. over yet. In round two, Krebs will have to go first to Excellent. represent his idea. And he is representing Exo Squad in round two. Krebs, take it away. Exo Squad was this absolutely phenomenal toy line that I did not become aware of until like the end of its life. Uh, it apparently came out in the early to mid 90s, but I didn't really pick up on it until kind of later 90s. And I guess I was watching the show on reruns. It was USA. Uh, when I was watching, it was on USA Network, um, but it was originally on some other channel. Uh, but the idea here is that you have humans, Terrans, who are in these souped up exoskeletal suits think ripley from aliens but all of them with different uh jobs and foci again because every character has to have somewhere where they fit and they were fighting uh the neo sapiens they were fighting uh, these aliens that were actually uh i believe they were human engineered and then they were they were created for like a labor force uh, think clone wars star wars except that they were better than humans in many ways and they realized it and they fought back and they rose up and they became this tyrannical force um so uh, it was it was a really interesting show um in that uh, again, you had some advanced storyline matter, but it had it's it had excellent action sequences. You had these really complex exoskeletons, these these oh, warframes, uh, the whatever you want to call them, and um, and the show had the the quality and storytelling uh, elegance and agility of gargoyles. It was an extremely well written show, and the toys 
were actually what got me into the show. And it's usually the other way around. Usually the show shows up, catches my attention. Oh, that's a cool show. I see the toys on the shelf. This was exactly the opposite way around. I was at the store. I had some money of my own. And yeah, as as like a mid to late teenager, I was still buying toys because I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm kind of a nerd. And uh, I love awesome collectibles. And I found this exosquad. I kept seeing exosquad on the, on the shelves. They eventually went on clearance by the time I took notice of them. And I bought a couple of them. And these toys were amazing. You had smaller figures. Uh, they they were smaller than G.I. Joe's, but bigger than um, like GoBots or Mask or, you know, things like that. Uh, but they they came with their with their exoframe. And the exoskeleton frames also had the concept of like a power pack, which was really just a little piece of plastic, but it was universal. You could pull it out, put it in another frame. And of course, they had episodes where that mattered. But the power pack could also fit in the in the in the action figure's hands. It, the toys were designed really well, very thoughtfully. Um, you had projectile missiles, but you also had like. Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, like animated guns. In other words, they could like rotate, they articulated, they had articulated uh, gunnery. Um, they usually had, there was one that I had that, you know, you pushed the button on the back of the elbow and the, and the claw hand opened and then retracted when you let go. Uh, the, and and I this was such a small detail, but I loved it. On most or all of the exo frames, the heel of the foot connected to the calf of the leg via um, a plastic... Uh, uh, basically a plastic representation of a pneumatic, of a, of a pneumatic, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like arm. And so you could, you could pose the foot and it would cause the pneumatic to close or to reopen. Uh, but then it was, it had, you know, limited movement because of that. And what I discovered when playing with these toys, and yes, I played with these toys, um, was that if you pulled on the inside of that pneumatic, you could actually separate the post from the tube, which would then simulate battle damage and then make that foot like not work right. It was it was a really thoughtful toy line. It was amazing. In terms of um, representation, it had a show that did go to home video at one point. I don't know if it ever actually made it to DVD, but it made it to VHS. Um, it was a very, very short-lived series. I'm trying to see how many how many seasons they had. I think they only had one, maybe two. Um, and, uh, of course, there was the toy line. I think I saw clothing at one point for, for children, you know, between the ages of 5 and 10. Uh, but not much beyond that. I don't think I ever saw – this was the 90s, so I didn't really see a lunchbox. Um, I don't remember seeing much in the way of, like, posters or CDs or anything like that. I don't remember seeing a video game. Um, but the toys themselves were the standout. Those things were excellent. So very, very small representation, but the toys were exceptionally thoughtful and definitely straddled the line between just regular consumer toys and something – uh, of akin to like the Seth MacFarlane collectible line. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Todd, excuse me. Not Seth MacFarlane. The, the MacFarlane, the Todd MacFarlane toys. Um, not, I can't believe I said Seth MacFarlane. I'm so sorry. Anyway. Yeah. But that the MacFarlane line. That would be a really interesting toy line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would just be it would just be uh, baby Stewie um, doing all sorts of vulgar things in 12 different forms anyway. Um, and so the representation was kind of small accessorization, though, uh, kind of along along that same lines. But again, the toys were just utterly exceptional. Uh, every toy came with several pieces uh, that enhanced the playability, the um, 
uh, sort of what you could do with your imagination. The characters were reasonably articulated, you know, shoulders, elbows, uh, hips and knees. Um, and as far as danger is concerned, uh, definitely higher on the choking scale. They did not mind putting in details, small details, uh, that could definitely lead to choking if not handled correctly. And with all the projectile missiles, you better be wearing some something to protect your eyes. But past that, that was pretty much it. That was all of Exosquad, a very, very tiny micro explosion on the scene, and then it just evaporated. But my gosh, the show was excellent. The toys were phenomenal. Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and keep continuing notes and tabulating the next round here while we have Dan coming back to represent in round two, Mask. That's right, Mask. That is M.A.A.S.K. Uh, so this was, this was kind of a really cool uh, franchise. Not only did it have its own television uh, show, but these figures uh, also had a crossover tie-in with G.I. Joe, as well as uh, The Visionaries, um, another cartoon series back in the day. They were on, it only lasted for two seasons. Um, They had 75 episodes, though, between those two seasons. Yeah. And which was quite a bit. This, this was a short lived series, 85 86. Um, it was produced by DIC uh, Studios. And they. It, you had so many. They, they had so many different uh, figures. Every figure. And, 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 and let me express this. These figures were smaller than the average size figures. They were you tiny. Know, G- they, they were like half the size of a G.I. Joe figure. They were tiny. And every figure came with its own mask. Every figure came with its own vehicle that could transform into some other vehicle or battle station or whatever. Not And every figure came with a plethora of weapons. It wasn't just a gun, like a G.I. Joe guy, or a sword. It was multiple uh, weapons that they could use. And I'm just looking here. There's just a guy that, you know, he's got a mask and he's got a boat. He's like a scuba diver and he has two guns. He's got some missiles that fire off of a, a rocket launcher. Um, most characters came with anywhere from six to ten different accessories that you could interchange on these. Now, again, danger factor, because these got the figures were so small, all these weapons were definitely swallowable. You could swallow everything, pretty much, because they were teeny. Uh, even the mask could, could, could be swallowed. Um, but the cool thing was, with the mask, if you had several guys or weapons, you could interchange them, you know, or, or they could interchange vehicles. So you could kind of cross-swap things. Uh, which was always really cool. But the choking hazard on these guys was really high because everything <laughs> was super small. Not only that, it sucked to step on them. You know, it, no one likes to step on a D4. No one liked to step on a mask guy or any of his weaponry. Truth. It hurt barefoot. Uh, the vehicles were really cool uh, because you could change those in, into other things. Um, so it was very reminiscent. It, well, honestly, it was kind of a mashup of Transformers and G.I. Joe. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the TV show 
worked really well. Uh, because it was really popular during those two seasons, there were mask backpacks, there were mask lunchboxes, uh, thermoses, you pencils, notebooks. Uh, there was a, a short-lived comic book series. Um, I'm just trying to think of what else. Uh, you well, can and everything that came out for this had to do with like transformation, right? So even yeah. if you got like a hoodie, there was like a secret pocket, or oh, yeah. it would turn inside out, and then you'd have like one side for the good guys, one side for the bad. Yep. Yeah. So there was hoodies. There was a clothes line, uh, clothing line, and there was just that you could also there was stuff at McDonald's in, in their Happy Meals. It it was kind of widespread. They really it hit really well and it was really popular in its time because G.I. Joe and Transformers was really popular at the time. By the time season three hit, it deflated. It just kind of all interest was gone. Um, and I really think a lot of that had to do with 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, 86 really, they, they made some bold choices with, Transformers and G.I. Joe with the movie and I think that really scarred some kids and it made some moves that parents pulled away from these because these had cartoons tied to it. Uh, Much like G.I. Joe, they constantly shot at the bad guys. Bad guys would get away to live another day and come back and terrorize. No one really died. But it was definitely more of a it was still a kid show but a little bit higher. Um, Much to the lines of G.I. Joe uh, with with the dark uh, with the more adult themes of the bad guys are here to destroy the planet and now we have to save it there wasn't no good fun happy feeling like you know Care Bears and stuff like that and have I left out anything else let me just double check I'm actually looking at the list of toys that they had here um, and I had I had five of the figure vehicle combinations and I had the Boulder Hill base. Yeah. Well, which was they awesome. had, and they had four, that's right. They had four different series of guys and, uh, vehicles. And not only that, they also had buildings that transformed as well. It wasn't just vehicles. Like, you know, yeah. the pit stop catapult, it, you know, the pit stop turned into a catapult, the collector. Um, and they had some really cool vehicles. Yeah, you you had everything from a motorbike to a race car to a truck, a, a semi truck to a helicopter, uh, a jeep, and all of these things transformed into a different thing. And you could put your guys in there, and it was just—I remember I had several of these, and they were just so much fun because you're cruising along the car, and it's like, oh no, so and so's flying away. That's not a problem. <laughs> turns into a flying vehicle and most of these transformations were semi-automated like you would hit a button and it would release and the the vehicle would basically unfold into a battle platform um or you you know you uh with the helicopter for example uh the the helicopter turned into a fighter jet and the way that would happen is you would take the tail fin flip it upward and it would it would hit a release mechanism the sides of the helicopter fuselage of the tail section i should say would slam forward as wings those would hit buttons that would release 
cannons that would eject forward uh, and then the skids you would just flip up with your hands. So yeah. really you only had to do a couple things with your hands. Everything else was automated. So most of these transformations were like within a couple seconds and mostly automated. But sadly, sadly, when it died, it died. It oh, has it never died. tried to be revived. It's never tried to – no one has tried to bring this back. Um, yeah. And it was cool. It was cool. The cartoon was cool. The toys were cool. There's Boulder Hill. Uh, I'm looking yep. at the playset. It would. It looked like a gas station, and it would turn into this battle station. Um, but it just it, it went away. It'd be cool to see it again, but it's gone. But I, I get it. It was who's the choking hazard? They were so small. It was just kind of sad. In the in the attitude of one thing that disguises another, the name of the good guys is Mask which is yeah. an acronym for Mobile Armored Strike Command, command with yes. a K, very German. And the bad guys were Venom, which yep. was which was an acronym for Vicious Evil Network of Mayhem. Yep. <laughs> hey, it isn't a real bad guys club unless you got a real bad guys club name. Unless yeah. you're both vicious and evil and a network. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's all I mean... about opportunity. It is. And the thing is, I remember, I remember being a kid, and it was really cool. The bat, you know, venom and mask. But when you read out those acronyms, they're kind of dumb and lame. <laughs> Vicious, evil, yeah, yeah. Well, th you... This was definitely an example of they came up with the acronym before the definition. Yeah, they're like we need to be called mask. We need to be called venom. Now, what are these going to mean? Uh, yeah. Timmy the intern, what do you think? <laughs> Excellent. Okay, just as in last round, I do want to make sure that each of you has a chance to add anything you've forgotten. So, Krebs, go ahead and go first talking about ExoSquad. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? You know, given its absolutely short life, there really isn't anything more to add. I've already gushed about the toys, and the show was actually pretty excellent. But those were the only two real things to really come to the forefront uh, I'm, I'm just double checking here to see if there was anything else. Oh, apparently it did land on DVD in 2009, but that was almost 10 years after the fact, 15 years after the fact. Oh, so, so that's more like a, like a sort of like a revisitation. Um, there was, oh, oh, there was a Sega Genesis video game. Sega Genesis, very popular in the nineties. I actually still have my, I still have my rig behind me actually. Um, but there was a Sega video game. Uh, for the Genesis platform, and there was a comic book that lasted for at least a year, um, and apparently there was an interactive movie book. I don't know what that's supposed to mean in this case, and a, and a board game. So there was a little bit more merchandise than what I thought, but really in terms of prominence, it would be the TV show and the toys and everything else was just kind of clutter in the background. Excellent. Thank you very much. And then uh, Dan, talking about Mask, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, so Mask did as well have a Commodore 64 uh, video game, Mask. Uh, it had a one, Mask 1, Mask 2, and Mask 3. Holy smokes! Yeah, uh, video games. Uh, let's see. They also It was also released out on VHS. You could get that to watch your episodes as well. I forgot about that. But the final thing that I think is really cool is the fourth series run. They had a vehicle called the Split Seconds. It actually split into two, and it came with two action figures. One action figure was transparent, so it was a hologram of the featured character. Um, yes. it, and it was the first <laughs> toy line to do that. 
Very cool. Yeah. I think that probably is going to get a bonus point for a first. I feel it's pretty good about cool. that. Yeah. Okay. Gentlemen, it is important that we ask. Krebs, give us a number from 1 to 10 for Exo Squad, with 1 being never again and 10 being I need this tomorrow. You know what? I'm, 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 I'm trying to decide between two numbers, but let me say it this way then. Uh, I think the concept of Exo Squad in the uh, wrapped up in the current zeitgeist, the explorations that we've made with things like Titanfall, Warframe, and other uh, even Avengers and Iron Man, and the technology that we have now, I think we could profoundly improve upon uh, what was already there. And if they come with their original quality, both in terms of narrative and uh, product design, I think it could be a slayer on the market. Uh, now I've talked myself into it. I'm going to go with a seven. A seven from Krebs. Dan, how do you feel about ExoSquad? Um, I'm going to give it a six. I do think we are primed and ready. If they were to bring it back, it would work now because we've had a lot of those type of you know movies that did really well. Pacific Rim. Um, we saw Mechs in The Matrix. We've it, you know we've we're kind of in a place where giant robots work for us. Exosquad is a little bit ahead of its time, but I think right now um, with the mechanized robotics, it w- I think it would do really well. It, we need a cleanup, a tune-up, but I think we it could do well, um, even showing up on Netflix or anything like that. So I think a six would work well because I would like to see it. Um, and it's definitely not down to Teddy Rupskin's level. Uh, that's <laughs> that's for sure. Because it, it was, you know, I remember the cartoon. I remember the toy line. It was fun, but it, it, it came at an odd time, you know. It was definitely in the era of Transformers where that was my main focus. But looking Ooh. at it now, I think it, I think it could survive. I think it could do well now. I, I'm going to throw this out just as like a cherry on top, if you don't mind. But um, one of the things that we could do now that we really couldn't do before is a build-your-own-mech custom toy that you could go yeah. online and order. You could you could choose from various attributes and create your own mech and figure for yeah. a little bit more of a premium price than just the pre-box stuff. But we could make a DCR, now that we're going down that line, but a DCR-themed mech, or you know, yeah. each of us could make our own stuff. And that's something we could do now, uh, especially with 3D printing, that we could yeah. never do before. Well, yeah, I mean, you could have your, ba- I mean, if they brought it back as a toy, you could have your bare bones, basic, you know, action figure based on the ones you see in the show. But you could also, hey, you, you can mix and match parts for a little bit extra. You go onto their website, you select the parts, and you have your own special custom mech. Upload and, your facial pics, uh, you know, profile front and other profile. Yeah. And, and then and you your have your figure. own action figure. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Now, Mr. Dan. Tell us how you feel about mask on a scale of one to 10. Uh, I would say seven. I loved this series. It was really cool. One caveat is I wit I, they would need to make it a little bit bigger. Um, not super big, <laughs> but a little but bit right. bigger. Um, it was easy to lose your figures. It was easy to lose your accessories. It was easy to lose your mask. A little bit bigger would be nice. But it was fun. I loved having the vehicles, and you could change them around. I would really love to see this come back, and it would be fun to see it as a cartoon again. Uh, with, you know, I, I've been watching the reboot of Thundercats, and I've really enjoyed the reboot because it doesn't have that weird 
Lionel was a kid. He woke up and now he's in an adult body, but he still has the brain of a kid. And now, but he's supposed to be acting like a butt. No, they started off. He's fully adult. Um, I think with where the world is and some modern tweaks, I think it could do really well. Excellent. And Krebs, how do you feel about Mask? Um, I'm kind of torn on this one because I also loved Mask. I I think I might still have a few of those toys lying around. Um, I thought it was fantastic. To be honest, uh, even though it was at a smaller scale, I think the scale actually worked for what they were trying to do. And um, when we talk about like the automation of the transformations, that made that made swift, imaginative gameplay yeah. or, or uh, you know imagination play possible. Um, mm-hmm. In today's society, would it really fit? Uh, and that's where I start to get a little hung up because I love it. Here's the thing. If they milked the nostalgia a bit, if they if they played the nostalgia well, I think it could do fairly well. But does it fit in sort of like the modern zeitgeist and, and, and sort of like the modern pop culture and things like that? Um, if they did some clever crossovers, maybe I, I'm torn between like a five and a six. And I'm not trying to undercut Dan here, but I'm, I'm no, cautiously fine. I'm cautiously optimistic on this one. Um I'm going to I'm going to my my instinct my original instinct was a 5 because I think they would have to really play their cards carefully here but it still could be awesome and I would like to see it resurrected. I'm going to give it a 5. All right. Hey, and even with this we could still do uh, an a uh, DCR edition. Yeah. You know? Yeah. See that part that that's always cool to me. We could get this customized in some yeah. way, right? Same yeah. same thing with the Exo Squad thing that would would apply to mask here. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen, both for uh, submitting your scores there. I've been going through and tabulating and taking careful notes on this round, and I'm feeling the excitement amp up on these products and these franchises, and that gets me excited, too. Uh, First, let's talk about Mask. Scoring highly in almost all areas. There are critical key indicators in each of these areas that I am holding out for a 10, but it scored very highly, all things considered. And uh, so I gave it a, a, a 25 total for the rad score, plus an additional 12 from the two of you gives it a pretty good leg up. But there are also very important bonus points here. Uh, first off, a bonus point for engineering. Excellent cohesive design, planning on things, fitting together, etc. And going on top of that, I'm giving bonus points for having both interchangeable pieces and interweaving pieces where they're working with other franchises, where they're really trying to build upon its own idea instead of just slapping a decal onto the side of whatever comes its way. Um, I'm also giving it a bonus point for being the first to do something. I'm also making it lose a point for being some of the last things to find all the pieces to because they are so small. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, also very important on this one is I got to love the acronyms, particularly for Venom, because a bonus point, friendship is indeed tragic. (laughs) Exo Squad, on the other hand, uh, Fair to middling, still uh, did did pretty well, right down the middle of the road. Weakest area is obviously in is its is in its is in its accessorizing. Sorry about that, guys. Though it did score fairly high in that area um, because you can mix and match between all of the different sets, which I really like. A uh, plus one for a failed reboot, but minus one because it attempted to be rebooted. Uh, and uh, I'm also giving it bonus points for having intentional design really thinking about how these pieces can be played with in multiple ways and how they interact with each other. Excellent. Um, A 13 from you gents, plus a 
21 up top. Uh, feels pretty good there. Oh, and one more thing. Each of these lines does get a bonus point for having a DCR tie-in in its future. <laughs> and so with that, Exo Squad comes out in second place at 37, and Mask comes out in first at 45. Congratulations yes. to Mask. Wow. Heck yes, Mask. Yeah, Mask is <laughs> And I would, I would 100% support that. Nice. 100% support. Now, as in every good fight, it's always important to get everyone's palate wet before you move on to the final contenders, and so I'd like to have an honorable mention round. And the way that this is going to work, I've pulled up my uh, stopwatch here. You each are going to have 20 seconds to gush about your given honorable mention. I recommend that you spend the first six seconds or so of it giving us a one-line summary of what it is about, and then spend the rest of your time saying why it should come back to what it uh, why it should come back into existence in some way or another, ending with a score from zero to ten. You guys ready? I am ready. Uh, with uh, Krebs currently uh, falling in second place on the last round, we're going to have you go first. Begin at your leisure. Brave Star was a cartoon that came out in the mid to late 80s. It was basically cowboys and sci-fi married together. Uh, you had the idea of this sort of like off-planet sheriff and his horse manimal companion uh, that would then, of course, fight against uh, the forces of evil and various thieves. It was very uh, – you could almost look at it like – uh, the Magnificent Seven, but with uh, sci-fi tie-ins. In fact, the action figures themselves were about the size, maybe a little bit larger than He-Man action figures. Definitely had more accessories and more articulation points. But my favorite part was that though they had a Western uh, aesthetic to them in general in a Western context, they also had freaking cybernetics. And they had like backpacks that would extend upward and over their heads. So they had cannons on their shoulders. The horse that he would ride, he would jump off of. And then the horse would transform into a bipedal companion with rifles. It was so amazing to have Western He-Man with cybernetics in space. That one definitely deserves a revisit at some point, even if only for the Firefly-like tie-ins for humor. I would give it a six for bring this back just to see what would happen. Cool, Dan. The minute is yours. All right. So my honorable mention that I that yeah, this is going to be more of a silly one. It's not. Yeah. If it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, it's okay. Rock Lords. I don't know if you remember this, but Rock Lords was kind of a spinoff off of GoBots and Transformers. And what did they transform into? You got it. Rocks. <laughs> they came in various colors. They came in various lumps and sizes. But they all turned into robots. And when they were done, they turned into rocks. Yes, they were GoBots and Transformer ripoffs. They were definitely trying to... Uh, capitalize on the the transforming robot mayhem you know you had good guys and bad guys the good guys came from the the caves the bad guys came from the volcanoes and i had a few i definitely had a few they were easy to carry around you just folded it up into a rock threw it in your pocket it was not the the most amazing uh toy out there but it was. It was kind of funny. It was kind of silly, and you still got your robot. And it was definitely something you didn't have to worry about choking on. It was something you didn't have to worry about stepping on and hurting your foot because they were big enough, and they didn't have any spiky points or anything like that. So it came, and it faded away just as fast as it showed up. 
But for those of you that were lucky enough to find get one as a kid, you had some fun. You you the, your your rock lord probably fought some transformers, but always died or turned into a rock and had like Optimus Prime throw it at Megatron or Starscream. With that, I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> Score out of ten. <laughs> out of ten, uh, to bring back. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fun. I'll give it a three. <laughs> Very good. Cribs, what's your next one if you have one? Okay, so we're on to round three now. Is that correct? Uh, are there any other honorable mentions you folks oh, want to bring honorable up mentions. before we move on? Um, I, this one, I, I don't know how well it fits into our topic tonight, but I'm going to throw it in there anyway. I'll, th- I'll throw in one more. Uh, the real Ghostbusters. Uh, there were actually two Ghostbusters lines of toys for two different cartoons. One that was actually part of the uh, officially licensed line of like, you know, with Vankman and, and Egon. But there was another Ghostbusters series of toys that was completely unaffiliated. And it was atrociously tragic. I had most of those toys. But the real Ghostbusters, the Vankman, the Egon, those were the coolest. They had ghosts, again, capitalizing on the 80s phenomenon of transforming toys. But you had vehicles that were tra- that would that would have, like, secret weapons that would pop out. You'd have ghosts that would transform. You know, I look like a regular person. All of a sudden, I'm a terribly large-mouthed monster. Um, the real ghost – and the proton packs – for being simple plastic toys were actually really cool in their feature set. And they came out with a bevy, a bevy of action figures with special features. You, you, you'd you have to buy like eight different Egon's to get all the different things that Egon could do. Um, but it was uh, high, highly recyclable, highly doable. And with the emergence of a brand new Ghostbusters movie coming out soon, I think it might be a good time to revisit this toy line. I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a cautious, but optimistic, five perfect uh dan we've got enough time for one more if you have one more you want to add oh, to the list i do and one more honorable mention on mine would be battle beasts if you didn't pick these up oh, in the 80s that's the original pokemon uh they were the original pokemon these were really cool robotic slash animals that you could pick up and one of the more unique ones had a weapon instead of an arm um, it seemed like, you know, the toy makers were really having fun. These were kind of a hybrid of creatures and fantasy. Uh, you can get everything from a lion to a shark, a bear, an armadillo, a giraffe. Uh, I think there was even an anteater. Um, but the thing that was really cool, they did have a gimmick, you know, much like the transformers, when the transformers had this heat sticker that if you rub, they would show you if there were an Autobot or a Decepticon, uh, these guys I forgot about that. Yeah, those were my, if you those were if great. you did it on these guys, a symbol would appear that was either water, fire, or wood. Um, and so the battle was kind of an old rock, paper, scissors type thing. Um, because you know, water beat fire, fire beat wood, uh, wood beat water. Um, it was kind of cool. They were really cool in the day. They didn't transform, you could move their arms up and down, you really couldn't move their legs, but you could fight with them. Uh, so it was a really cool, uh, little toy series. And that was also one of the first toys. If I remember this correctly, cause I had a bunch of battle beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you chose this one. Uh, if I remember correctly, they were also one of the first toys to be randomly assorted. So you would buy yes. basically like a, like a blind pack, um, like an egg usually, and then you would crack it open and inside was your random battle beast or a few different battle beasts. Yeah. It was very, it was very random, but it was super cool. And the whole like elemental strength and weakness concept was of course their niche. Uh, it was it was stupid fun for very little money at the time. Yeah, they were really cheap. 
And, and the most annoying part was trying to get all of them because it was always random. You couldn't go in and say, hey, that's I, I'm missing that guy and yank him off the shelf. You never knew right. what you were getting. And more often than not, you got the same guy a lot. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And it was and it was generally the armadillo, at least in my yes, case. That dude. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, both of you, for sharing some of your honorable mentions and for participating in the event so far. We have one more round. Wait, wait, wait. What score would you give it, Dan, to bring oh, it back? Oh, yes. Yeah, you me. know, honestly, I'm going to go for an eight on this one. I yeah. love those things. They were really cool. And they they were small. They were small. But they were really cool. Um, and, like, you know, like... Like Krebs said, they were the first Pokemon. They were the first uh, Digimon. They, they, you would run out and go collect these things like crazy, and you would fight with them and play with them. And it's like, oh look, I'm water and I'm fire, and I can de- defeat you. It was, they were lots of fun, and I wouldn't mind having some more on my shelf again. I think they would absolutely do well in the current market between like the Pokey oh, yeah. phenomenon as well as. Um, like blind bag toy purchasing, especially oh, small yeah. toy purchasing, has gone way up in the last yeah. five years. Thanks, YouTube. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you all for joining us on this journey so far. We have one more round. This is the ultimate battle, and therefore we need an ultimate roll-off. But thank you for taking a moment to geek out with us and remember fond franchises past. Now, in order for this last round to be as fair as possible, I have two dice in my hand. One is red and one is blue. Dan, at the beginning of the episode, chose blue, and we're going to determine who goes first. The selections for this round are the cream of the crop, and they each carry with them some particular connotations, maybe even some controversial pieces as to whether or not they really deserve to be on this list, and I would encourage each of you to make sure to justify why they uh, meet the criteria for joining us on our adventure tonight. But for the final round, the two uh, franchises being referenced are He-Man by Dan and Silver Hawks by Krebs. And Dan, you have earned the right to go first. All right, I will go first. He-Man in the Masters of the Universe uh, was not only uh, seen in Toy Line, but it was also seen in... in uh, in cartoon uh the original he-man uh toy line had 72 different action figures included in that were two laser figure guys and two giants uh you also had castle grayskull you had snake mountain you had the horrible slime pit that every parent in the world hated uh you had wonderful characters like skunkor yes he stunk and <laughs> that was his gimmick you had uh, several characters uh, that had different gimmicks, like Ram Man, that you'd push him down and he'd spring up. You had one guy that was a snake, you'd fill him with water, push down in his head, he would spit out a stream of water. Uh, every character had its own unique gimmick, which was awesome. There were tons of different accessories. Um, there were weapons, there were vehicles, there were bases. Uh, you could buy additional types of armor and weapons. Almost every character came with their own weapon, whether that was a mace, a sword, a staff. They weren't really super small. They weren't choking hazards, which was really good for this to- toy line. Uh, so it didn't have that threat. However, you know, tripping hazards was quite frequent. You know, if you're if someone left Castle Grayskull out uh, and a parent 
didn't see it, they could trip over that, or they would trip over the vehicles or step on a, a figure. So that's about as dangerous as it got. Um, however, even though it had 72 unique figures and characters, they continued to come out with different versions of that. Like you could get Battle Damage He-Man and De- Battle Damage Skeletor, where you hit the chest and a little thing rotates and it has a slash. You do it again, it has three slashes. Um, you had many face, which, you know, he had different faces and you could spin his head. Uh, there was a lot of different things. You had Battle Cat, you had Panthera um, that came with different armors and stuff like that. So it was really cool with the accessories. There was a lot of different things you could pick up for this uh, for this thing. Uh, it came out in VHS. Uh, you There was clothing line, hats, shirts, backpacks, uh, lunch pails, uh, thermoses, notebooks video games there are several video games um that have been out there you know nintendo sega uh commodore and uh, and even more recently on some of the newer game systems because they there was a 2002 reboot um that was done by cartoon network that was fairly successful they kind of revamped the storyline but it too just kind of died um unfortunately he-man died on the vine disappeared uh, a lot of that uh, is contributed, or at least toy makers believe, because girls started liking He-Man, and well, it wasn't cool for girls to like the same toys as boys, and so they quit playing with them. Uh, the 2002 revamp was, as far as the cartoon show, it was successful. The toy line was not. The toys were really cool. Uh, they looked impressive, but it just didn't have the staying power. It just... Pretty much it just really hoped that nostalgia was enough there that people would buy the toys, but it just wasn't. It it died after two seasons, um, unfortunately, before any real good storylines uh, emerged from that. And uh, what else? What's the last thing? I, I'm for, Oh, yeah, it's been, you know, you could get multiple things in, in Happy Mills around the world. Uh, there were comics. There were uh, movies. It did have a live-action movie adaption starring Dolph Lundgren that and Courtney Cox was in it, and it didn't do very well. Um, they definitely strayed very far from the actual cartoon and the, the storyline. About the only thing that uh, had any resemblance to it was the Sorceress, Eternia, He-Man, and Skeletor. That's about it. Um the rest of the characters were kind of lost. Like, yeah. Um, what else? Have, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I don't think I, danger. I think I've covered Any other it. danger elements you want to hit? Uh, really? It, you know, the, the, every character had the same physique. There really wasn't much danger. I mean, the, the most dangerous out of anything, out of any of the toys really was the slime pit because the slime got everywhere. It stained <laughs> everything it touched. You know, if you got it on your clothes, it you had this slime stain and it well, never that was from out. Hordak and the Horde. Yeah. That was like their swamp, their base. Yeah. And it was you know, it stained everything. It was bad. And the worst part, if you ran out, you it you had to go buy more and it was expensive. It wasn't cheap. You couldn't just buy one container of it. You had to buy this 
box container set of it. Um, it, I mean, some of the guns, there's definitely some stepping hazard, maybe some minimal choking hazard uh, from smaller kids. I, I mean, the swords were a, a couple, at least a little over two inches long, so they weren't small in nature, but uh, there's there's some possible there, but the majority of it was not small enough to swallow. Uh, the the very Conan-esque body builds of everyone in Eternia, where everyone had ripped abs and muscling biceps. Uh, the the women were very toned and did not look out of shape uh, in any way, shape, or form. All of their armor that was on them, you know, it came off, and you could connect it. it wasn't small enough to, to to swallow, but you could lose things, and if you lost things, they were gone forever. And you it. You could buy additional accessory packs, but they weren't for specific characters. So um, beyond that, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to let it go on that one. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and start to tabulate some of this over here. And Krebs, talk to us about Silverhawks. Silverhawks is one of my all-time favorite shows from my childhood. It, again, here it is, short-lived, but that's sort of like the theme of tonight, right? That's why we talk about this. Um, in fact, what I, one of the things I love about this show is that so few people even remember it exists. Do yourselves a favor. Go on YouTube, find the intro for Silverhawks, and watch it through 1986 metaphoric goggles on your eyes because it was awesome. It, and watching the intro gives you everything you need to know about this show. It is about a spacefaring police force of sorts called the Silverhawks, where every character is, as they say in the show, partly metal, partly real. And uh, these are all characters who were um, stalwart soldiers or specialists in their field. They were uh, – they either gave themselves to the program or they were injured in some way and had to be saved, very RoboCop-esque. Uh, but they ended up with – almost all metal bodies and uh you know when they would when they would be off duty or when they'd be talking to each other their faces would be revealed when it was time to go into combat they would wipe their hand in front of their face like someone who who does that little funny uncle trick where they like swipe you know they're smiling and they swipe their hand in front of their face now they're frowning and they swipe back up but they would swipe their hand in front of their face and a blast shield would materialize out of nowhere and form in front of their face giving them a fierce look um they would clap their hands onto their hips and then extend their arms out sideways and these cybernetic wings would be attached from their wrist to their to their waist and they could fly this way when they were in flight they had lasers in their deltoids in their shoulders so they had like shoulder they had, they had recessed shoulder cannons so they could do aerial combat and of course they were highly acrobatic um you also had uh, so you had like uh, the leader of the group whose name is quicksilver uh and then you have the twins steel heart and steel will a brother and sister duo a little star wars there i think and um steel heart actually had I, if i remember correctly her heart had to be replaced she had to be saved um and then steel will he also uh, like had some cybernetic replacements but he's the brawn and she's the brains uh there was the copper kid the only non-human in the group came from a planet uh <laughs> came from the planet of mimes and he speaks in tones and whistles if anything he's like c3po and r2d2 rolled into one um but he had like a copper body in terms of the, like the metallic color and interestingly 
they they had a pilot even though they they were all capable of flight when they had to do like long missions or when they had to go far distance they would hop into their um giant uh bird like vehicle that had separate uh launch pods and their pilot was bluegrass a decidedly uh again with the cowboy sci-fi uh decidedly cowboy-esque guy uh and what was what was extra cool about the well what was additional what was additional cool about this show was that every character came with a dedicated uh bird of some kind that represented their character but was also like their familiar and so quicksilver had tallyhawk and um uh, bluegrass who was their who was their cowboy pilot the interesting the interesting thing about him is he didn't have the cybernetic wings like everybody else did because he was the pilot of the ship or maybe it was the other way around maybe he was the pilot because he didn't have wings but his guitar that he always rocked out on would transform into his bird, and that would be his familiar. And the birds would, of course, they were highly intelligent cybernetic creatures that matched the the character or persona of that individual. And they are up against Monstar. Yes, that's monster pronounced a very special way. But they were up against uh, Monstar, who was the uh, commander of the bad guys, and uh, his uh, group of toughs, as it were. Uh, and so you had like the Monstar mob, and the thing about Monstar was that he had like this this eye that could shoot a laser. It was like an eye patch that would shoot a laser, but also um, he always wore like this crazy heavy battle armor, and his head would transform from like this almost animal alien type face into this full helmeted with spikes, really wicked visage. Um, and uh, he had his own bird buzzsaw, I think it was, or something like that. Uh, and he had all these other characters this menagerie of crazy oh no, Bussaw was one of his guys but anyway um he had like uh all, there was a shapeshifter named molecular who could change into various things uh based on he was a shapeshifter he could do all these crazy uh transformations the toys were really cool even though they were a tad limited in their scope you had um the arms would always fold down and if you squoze the legs then the arms would eject to the side and you would see the wings they didn't have the face plates that you could pull down but monstar was really cool because if you squoze his legs his chest plate and his back plate would crack open um like a like a clamshell and his head on a spring would rotate 180 it would like like vertically rotate on an axis 180 and um he would go from like his animal face to his armored face and that was always very fun uh, the show itself did not last super long, but it did have 65 episodes. The show was very anime in its style, and it was produced by Rankin and Bass, of all funny things. But uh, it was that same sort of division of Rankin Bass who also did uh, Thundercats. And uh, now, today, to this very day, Warner Brothers owns the copyright. They own the rights to the show Silverhawks, which gives me some hope. Um, especially because I know someone who works in the animation department at Warner Brothers, so I'm gonna have to talk to him. But anyway, uh, they had a comic book, they had uh, a clothing, they had some, you know, clothing for kids and things like that. But they also had, uh, let's see, they had a board game, puzzles, bed sheets, uh, pencil pouches, so school attire, you know, school um, uh, accoutrement, and uh, they had put they had pajamas, and the pajamas were cool. Because the pajamas had wings, so when you stretched your arms out, you had wings like the Silverhawks. I wonder how many kids jumped off roofs. But anyway, uh, it was it was a, a super short-lived show that had tons and tons of potential. The toys were super cool, and if you do a quick look a quick look on Google, 
there are people who remember this show fondly enough that today there are new scale models and uh, replicas that people have built uh, celebrating this show. So uh, it still has some some attraction. It also it also briefly existed as a Marvel driven comic series. Uh, it was it was actually like um, from one of their subsidiaries, from, from one of their sort of like sub branches. But it was a Marvel line of comics. And in terms of danger, uh, there wasn't much in the way of choking because the all the toys were large enough that you weren't likely to swallow pieces. And they didn't really have accessories that were that small. Bluegrass did have a cowboy hat, but it had a slit in the top for his metallic mohawk, which is kind of hot. Um, so choking is not very likely. Uh, the most dangerous part would probably be pinching. Uh, as you as you like uh, had some of these toys that had like openable parts and then they would close on a spring, you might get pinched a time or two. Uh, but in terms of um, danger, very, very low. Uh, accessorization was medium to high and representation, although short lived, it was a brilliant flash in the pan at the time. So it stood out in its moment and then completely disappeared. Excellent. Now, just to make sure, uh, with uh, representation there in Silverhawks, I heard you mention toys, TV show, and comic. What else was there, if anything? Uh, Bedspreads, school supplies. I personally had a had an art kit that was all Silverhawks. It was binder style with like a snap clasp and it had pre-printed sheets you could color and it had all the pens like markers so that, of various colors that you could draw with so it was like this whole portable art kit things of so that I'm, nature so i'm gonna count those as accessories because they do not expand the lore of the universe mm. i see what you're saying i see what you're saying yeah tv show toys comic book probably where it stops uh, VHS, of course, but that was that there were no new episodes. It was all the shows on tape. It's okay. It's okay. You hit the trifecta, and that's what counts. Okay. Um, as we've done in the previous rounds, this is your opportunity for each of you to add your final thoughts, or if there's anything that you've forgotten. We're going to start with He-Man from Mr. Dan, whom I would remind to unmute before he speaks. Yes. I'm just quickly going over. Um, like I said before, there have been multiple, multiple, uh, there have been multiple video game iterations. Uh, it has had uh, comic books, uh, which is probably about the only place this s still lives today. Uh, is in comic book. It it keeps coming back and then dying and going away which is just really unfortunate. Uh, there were several cartoons. You had tons of vehicles, weapons, um, not weapons, um, animal accessories. You could write, you know, you had Battle Cat and stuff like that. Um, there have been several uh, attempts to... You know, just find any way to revive this series, and they just they haven't. You know, it, it's kind of felt, um, it, and it's because really it, it hit when the iron was hot. It was perfect in that time period, but it's I think unfortunately it it unfortunately just fails uh, ult ultimately. Uh, the figures were big enough that you couldn't lose them. 
you could lose the accessories, but the figures themselves are were still a, a decent size. You had very different various different iterations of various characters. But the biggest thing I think that just really uh, sits out about them is the fact that even though after 72 characters and they realized they couldn't really add any more to it, they um, they started giving you variations of those characters. Now, I did have a couple of other, uh, you know, the every action figure came with its own comic book. Uh, there was a few attempts to kind of bring He-Man back after the He-Man series, like the new adventures of He-Man, where it was more futuristic, um, but that didn't do very well. Um, but those are the things that definitely tried to expand the lore of Eternia. You had She-Ra, which was the, the girl f- spinoff uh, version of that, where you found out that uh, Prince Alora was actually uh, Prince Adam's twin sister that was kidnapped uh, shortly after birth and by Hordak and took to uh, his realm, and she survived there. So that added some more uh, information to the mythos. But really, that's that's all that I can really say extra on there. Cool. And Krebs, what more do you have to say about Silverhawks, if anything? Oh, I I rambled on for a pretty long time. I think I captured everything I needed to for Silverhawks. Okay, excellent. I'm going through here and getting some tabulations up. While I'm in the process of doing that, uh, Dan, how would you rate He-Man on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being I need this in my life tonight? Uh, I'm going to give He-Man a 9. I loved He-Man. It was a huge part of my childhood. I would love to have a Castle Grayskull over there with He-Man and Skeletor. Uh, And and I know... know, I could probably find stuff on eBay and stuff like that, but I I want some... I, I want the toys to come back. I would love to have those again. Um, and the problem with, you know, looking on eBay and stuff like that, a lot of the stuff is missing. <laughs> you can't yeah. find everything in pris- pristine, uh, condition. Like I, I would love to have because yes, I would love to have He-Man in, you know, his full getup. And more often than not, those are the first things that anyone would lose would be the, the armor that you put over the figure and their weapon. Um, you know, the hands were always sculpted in the same way. So everything had to <laughs> fit in that exact sculpt. So they, they and they didn't always fit. Um, but I would love to have those, even if they just sit up there for me to look at, because it was fun. It was a great cartoon. Uh, yes, it doesn't stand up very well to today's standards, but it was a great part of my childhood uh, to watch He-Man and uh, Skeletor battle it out and have that storyline play out every every week. And so so my, I would did did you give me an eight or a nine? A nine. A nine. A nine for awesome. He-Man, yeah. And what would you say to He-Man, Krebs? See, I'm almost on the exact opposite end of the spectrum here. I mean, I mean, not okay. totally opposite, but um, uh, I had the toys as a kid. I still have the toys. I recently went through my storage shed and I found all my He-Man stuff. Um, and you're absolutely right. By the way, my Stinkor still makes the box still stinks to today. It, That's one thing for that the record. States. For the record, uh, the Stinkor action figure just smells like patchouli. But anyway. <laughs> um, but the point is, uh, you know, He-Man was 
it, it was made into a live action film with Dolph Lundgren and oh, was Dolph Lundgren or was somebody else? It was Dolph. Uh, yeah. It was Dolph. Okay, so it was and Dolph Frank, Lundgren. What's his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, for, not Frank Langella. I thought it was Jack. Yeah, Collins. it was Frank Langella. Was that Frank that was Langella? Skeletor. Yeah. Okay, and um, <clears throat> and and that movie I remember enjoying that. Uh, in my youth, it, it does not stand up today, but it was fun. Uh, he, He-Man was revisited in 2002 in yep. Masters of the Universe in, in that reboot. And I could have sworn there was another reboot either just – I think it was just before 2002, but I could be wrong about that. Um, so for me, has He-Man has stayed around in pop culture for so long that I don't feel like I've really had time to miss him. Uh, so for me, like how bad do I need that to come back? Like a three or a four. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a four because I think they could do some really cool things with it now. In fact, it looks like Netflix is gearing up for a new uh, movie or a new show uh, that looks like it could actually be very cool. And to that end, I'm like, oh, that that looks that looks pretty hip. But how much do I need it right now? Yeah, like a four. Yeah. No, I, it, it. There were, were several times it's been attempted to reboot. 2002 is the only time there was they actually got yeah the reboot out. Um, and that show actually was cool. I did. I liked the reboot. They they mixed the storyline a bit where Skeletor was his uncle. Um, so yeah, I, I like the route they went, and they went more into the mythos of who, you know, why he becomes this big powerful guy. And yeah. Prince Adam didn't look like the same person. He physically changed appearance yeah. uh, and became <laughs> King Grayskull. Um, cool. Yeah. So I really liked the updates to that. Um, and it wasn't as gimmicky. It wasn't as comic-y. It was definitely more yeah. of a, an adult. It was a more thoughtful narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Now, talking about Silverhawks. Uh, uh, Krebs, how would you rank Silverhawks on 0 to 10? You know, um, Silverhawks has had a very special place in my heart, which is why I saved it for last um, for the last 35 years. And... Uh, it has, to my knowledge, never been revisited. It did come out like in uh, on a on a very limited printed DVD at one point, just to like kind of get the show out there for nostalgia. But um, it, it has it has genuinely just sort of fizzled and popped off the radar, uh, and never really came back strong. I think that with some updating, with some updating, um, some significant with, with the narratives that we write now, uh, given the context of Silverhawks. I think we could do some very cool things with that show and I'm going to go, I'm going to go ham on this one and I'm going to give it a nine. I need Silverhawks to make a hard, hard comeback. Now, I mean, I do acknowledge it needs a giant reworking and I totally get that. But if we're talking blue sky uh, with, you know, um, with the kind of stories that we're telling now, with the kind of technology that we have now, um, I'd be fine with staying animated, but a live action show could actually be very, very cool. Uh, a, a, a superior toy line. There are some very cool things that could happen here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to push hard for this one and I'm going to give it a nine. Excellent. And Dan, tell us how you feel about silver Hawks. You know, I remember this toy. I had some of the toys. Um, and I don't want to be that guy, but, uh, no, be that guy. It's okay. It's it's a four. You know, uh, it wasn't as interesting. It seemed like it was kind of the same themes over and over. Um, 
these guys had guns built into their shoulders, but they couldn't. They were like stormtroopers. They couldn't hit for for anything. <laughs> um, and you know, it does it have potential, possibly, but is it really exciting? These are guys that are in metal. You know, they've been injured. They're in metal suits now, and their only real power is they can fly. They don't have really superhuman strength. They don't have any special powers. They slap their hands to their hip. Now they have wings. Oh, and they have their cool battle visor when they run their hand over their face. Um, if we updated that, maybe. Maybe that would bump it up a little bit. But really, that that was the gist of it. They didn't have any special powers, and it was kind of hard. Um, I do remember the toys. They were kind of cool looking. They were, but they were disappointing because they didn't have the visor. That was the coolest part when the, the, the visor down. It looked like a bird face, but you didn't get that. You didn't get that in the toy, and mm. that was very disappointing. Um, so, cool. Yeah. No, I, well, I can hear that. I can hear that. Thank you both for giving your input. Uh, both giving a 13 to each of these franchises. Very exciting. Uh, He-Man had some very interesting strengths in this round. The biggest one, one of my buzzwords that I've had circled from the beginning is breakfast cereal. And He-Man is the only one on this list who <laughs> actually had a breakfast cereal. Yes. So true, so true. It was Orcos, if I remember correctly. Yep. The Orcos. Uh, yes. The Orcos. But yeah. nevertheless, it's there. Um, he also, uh, He-Man is the only one on this list, to my knowledge, who has actually made a resounding presence in uh, current retro pop culture. Yes. having a Funko pop and being able yep. to be found on random t-shirts and has been made into memes and things like that. Things that people don't necessarily recognize. However, He-Man was also the weakest in our danger category. Yes. Um, tripping is quite frankly, not a sufficient enough hazard for a child. You really need something to educate them on the ways of life. There were however, some bonus points awarded and taken away huge bonus points for being gimmicky. Love gimmicky things. It's awesome. Uh, reboots, again, plus points, minus points. They've tried and they failed. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, so do I get 72 gimmick bonus points? Bonus points because... for Shira for being yeah. able to step out. Go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, so did I get 72 bo uh, bonus points for gimmick because there were 72 gimmicky figures? <laughs> <laughs> the judges have conferred and you do not understand our arbitrary points. That's fine. <laughs> But I nevertheless, <laughs> but nevertheless, I do have to say huge kudos to the creators for recognizing that there was an audience out there trying to serve it, even if it didn't end up turning out great. Uh, Shira was one of the franchises which I heard about growing up from my mother, so whose name is Shara, funnily enough. Uh, also, uh, unfortunately, uh, minus a point for confusing male image. But I also have here from the judges confusing emoji for male image. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pretty good there. Uh, 23 up top plus the bonus points in 13 brings us to 39 points for He-Man. Well Silverhawks, on the other hand, uh, middling scores in both representation and accessorizing. Um, however, despite the fact that Krebs claimed that Silverhawks is not particularly dangerous, jumping off a roof was also one of my other keywords that I had circled yes. from the beginning. 
and therefore it got Go huge danger. bonus points there. Exactly. We've got to have something to just inspire kids to jump off of roofs. Now, <laughs> the, the caveat to that is it can't be jumping alone, right? And so there are some other pieces here. Um, and so uh, just as I gave minus points to He-Man for still being trapped in the slime, I also gave some minus points to Silverhawks for only being about the pinch. Um, I did give bonus points for Burb Means, uh, as well as um, being an accessory to power. Um, Quicksilver was the name of my first fish, so congratulations for an arbitrary hey. bonus point there. Um, and then I also gave some bonus points for pretentious pronunciation, because why come up with a new name when you can just pronounce one in a funny way? Well, hey, wait and, a minute. You managed to give that one, too. There's, like, so many weird names. Like, uh, yeah, Manny Faces instead yeah, of Many Manny Faces. faces and, and it's Stinkor. Yeah. yeah. So, some of their names were, like, I, well, okay, Evil Lynn for Evelyn. Evil Lynn was probably the most creative bad guy name in the whole line. Yeah. Now I I rolled I rolled the weird names in He-Man into gimmicky, which got okay. more bonus points than just pretentious pronunciation. All right, if that fair, makes you feel fair. better. Uh, so with a uh, 19 up top from Silverhawks, bonus points and a 13 on the bottom brings you to a resounding 40, edging out He-Man by a single point. Let's talk about our winners and losers for the night. In representation, He-Man obviously went the distance as well Heck as in yes. accessorizing. Second place in representation was a two-way tie between Captain Power and Mask. In accessorizing, again, He-Man coming out on top, but we have Teddy Ruxpin, Mask, and Silverhawks all showing up excellently. Ooh. And then down in the uh, danger category, uh, He-Man in dead last, Mask in first place, going with choking hazards, adult themes of war and death, being half size and having tons of little bits of swag to just grind into dust and get into your food. Oh, yeah. Uh, with that being said, our winner this evening in first place with 45 points is Mask. Heck Congratulations yes. to Mask, he who is most worthy across arbitrary guidelines in multiple <laughs> categories. Thank you all for listening so much. This has been the Rad Dome. Oh, man, what a great show. This was an extra long episode, but man, it was, it was extra worth extra it. <laughs> yes, no, it went long. But uh, no, this was awesome. Uh, we may have to do this again with other things. Uh, I like the Rad Dome. Uh, I like this a lot. And Rat, uh, Dan, Dan, you had excellent selections tonight. You did a great job, man. No, I, I this was I, I, it was fun. Um, yeah, these toy lines were awesome. They were uh, like most toy lines that come and go. There are some that are just like, wow, uh, you know, and it's OK. It's OK that we don't all enjoy and love the same thing. You know, you, you love G.I. Joe as a kid. I didn't really love Truth. it, um, but it is funny. It is funny how some things still you know, the fact that Stinkor still stinks after the, you know, this many <laughs> years is just hilarious. It's beyond belief. But uh Oh, this was great. I think we need to do it again, but we'll do it with other things. Uh, but it definitely works. I like the, the, the scoring. Uh, this will come back again. Sorry, it was a little bit long. We were long-winded, but that's just because there was a lot of awesome things to talk about. And hey, uh, a big thank you to Alton for coming up with this system on the fly yes. just before the show. That yeah. was awesome. Thank you, Alton. Yes. Great job. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Um, I am great at arbitrary. Yes. <laughs> so... We're, we're going to have to come up with some other fantastic ideas with this and maybe even bring in some people. 
some special guests. And instead of you know giving a, a long list, each of us you know represents a toy line or a comic book character or whatever, and we go out uh, go off with the, the random. Uh, that would be really fun. Kind of do a panel uh mm. style uh especially with a lot of the the comic-con stuff and the, the the convention stuff doing virtual stuff man this could be really fun um even virtually so you may see some more rad dome stuff coming your way uh however uh check out uh, our various many episodes that uh, are coming out and uh we will catch you next time and remember friends tell your story whatever may come and always remember to be epic and don't play with sucky toys. Remember, the force will be with you always. <laughs>